Welcome to Marrow Masters, sponsored by the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, Insight Corporation, and the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. The National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, established in 1992, strives to help patients, caregivers, and families cope with the psychosocial challenges of bone marrow and stem cell transplant from diagnosis through survivorship. Here's the Executive Director of the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, Peggy Burkhardt. Welcome, everyone. This series focuses on all things caregiving. We will hear from the experts and the experienced, and trust me, their know-how will offer caregivers and families at every stage of the journey best practices, tips, and most importantly, an abundance of hope. Caregivers will feel their support and compassion. Today's episode will feature Matt DeYoung of Belize. Matt's daughter Lola was diagnosed in 2011 when she was only six years old with ALL pre-B leukemia while the family was living in Africa. Wow, Africa. Matt will provide today an incredible perspective as a caregiving dad. Matt pulls no punches and shares a wonderful, heartfelt male perspective. Matt recalls thinking, I better take this 15 minutes at a time on some days and 24 hours at a time on other days. So grab a few minutes for you today, caregivers, and listen in. You will be so glad you did. Thanks for being with us today, Matt. Peggy, thank you so much for the opportunity to share this story. Great. Let's get started. Tell us about Lola. So Lola's story in the cancer journey starts when we were in Africa. As a family, we moved to Tanzania with our two younger daughters, um, ages two and four at the time. And Lola started to get really ill. And we were living about three days drive from any type of really reliable medical evaluation. So we met with different doctors in the local village, and we assumed that she had malaria. So we treated her for malaria, and she got better for a minute. And then she started to digress. So we took the drive into the capital city, um, which is called Dar es Salaam in Tanzania. And they took her blood. And they told us at that time, Lola either had mono or leukemia, and we had a four-day wait. So during that time, we basically stayed awake, and we just said, Lord, please don't let this be leukemia. We got the results back, and they said, praise the Lord, it's mono. You guys can go back to your village. And we actually got a call from the agency that we were working with, and they said, well, we've already booked your flight home. We want you guys to come home. And it wasn't until we arrived in Grand Rapids, Michigan, that we found out that, yes, Lola did have mono, but she also had pre-B ALL leukemia. And the leukemia had progressed to the point where they weren't able to take a proper sample of her bone marrow because it was so compacted with leukemia cells. Wow. So we took that opportunity to start treatment right away and basically started to rebuild our life in the States again um, with a daughter that was dealing with cancer. So we did the first two and a half years of prescribed cancer treatment, and everything went well. There was no real surprises. We went into remission right away, and it was just a long, hard road of the first type of cancer treatment. Um, She got the all clear with treatment in April, and two months later, we found that the disease had returned into her, her central nervous system. So she was diagnosed with a CNS relapse in 2013, and we went into a more accelerated, challenging course of leukemia treatment that was much heavier on hospital stays and much heavier doses of chemotherapy and also involved some radiation. We went through two years of that. And again, we we celebrated success until we got word two years after that treatment had begun that they found another cell in her central nervous system 
And at that point, we started the process of thinking about what does a bone marrow transplant look like and what are our options for caregiving now that we've been faced with this diagnosis. Um, We met with medical professionals all over the country and landed in Ann Arbor for the University of Michigan to start treatment for the bone marrow transplant that would ultimately save Lola's life. Lola went in September of 2015. We were never able to find a suitable match for her in terms of a bone marrow transplant. So we ended up having to use a mismatched cord blood sample. And that was the procedure that took place in September. I am so pleased to say that Today in 2020, Lola is 15 years old. She is cancer-free for the last five years and getting a chance into the next chapter of her life. Oh, that is just so wonderful to hear that she is a typical teenager now, I'm sure, and cancer-free. Oh, I'm so happy for all of you, Matt. Okay, so you're a dad and you're a caregiver. I'd love to get your perspective, what you want to touch on as far as being Lola's caregiver. Absolutely. I think... In all families, you have to determine who's wired for which role. And for me, this was something that I really, really relished the chance to be in there and to be that consistent force that she had to deal with all the treatment. And I think it gave me the ability to be better prepared to discuss medications and to discuss treatment paths with the doctors only because I had that consistency of being there. I think it's really important to note that whenever you're diagnosed or your family encounters a a diagnosis of childhood cancer, it means the entire family has to shift into caregiver mode. I was really lucky to have a career where I could work virtually and maintain income while I was in the hospital. But if we didn't have members of our extended family step up, we could have never juggled three kids and had any type of normalcy for the siblings that were also in this fight. Um, One of the things that's really been prominent for me to think about is the impact that a cancer diagnosis has on the other siblings in the family. It's so interesting you should say that. We've noticed that in talking to other caregivers too. There is so much consideration that needs to be made for the siblings. And I'm so glad you mentioned that. Wow. So share with us, Matt, your best tips regarding living in the moment and staying focused on the hope because you definitely had some setbacks. So we'd like to hear about that. Yeah, it's interesting for me. I think the first time that I ever walked through the diagnosis that you get into this time of just absolute shock. And for me, every time I looked into the future, I was so scared that I just kind of went into fight or flight mode and I just stopped. I wasn't able to produce. And it wasn't until I started to just hold on to this idea of what does the next 15 minutes look like? How do I manage the next 15 minutes without looking any more in depth into the future? And then some days we were able to work 24 hours at a time but I never, I never allowed the family to focus on much outside of that, only because I knew how important it was for us to stay on track and to stay focused on our present needs instead of trying to think about what would happen in the future. One of the lessons that I think was the most valuable for me in all of this was to never give up hope. Even when we had doctors that met with us and told us how grim Lola's prognosis was, we made a choice as a family to say, no matter what happens, until they lay her in the ground, we're going to wait for and expect a miracle. And we obviously had conversations where she said, Dad, am I going to die? And I always just looked at her with absolute truth in my eyes, and I told her no. And I think that hope, even though we never experienced prayers being answered the way that we thought, that hope protected us. It protected our soul. It protected our well-being. 
And I think it gave us the ability to stay positive, even in the midst of some really ugly circumstances. That's such a beautiful way to think of hope. And it sounds like it really worked for your family. So while you were under the care of the doctors, tell me about that experience. It's so interesting for me because in traditional oncology, your doctors and your your staff at the hospital become like family members. So for me, there was four years that I spent mostly in the hospital because of Lola's immunocompromised state. It wasn't like we could go out and experience the world. We really had to stay in isolation. So our doctors became like family. When we move into the bone marrow transplant part of our journey, you realize that you don't get to take your oncologist with you. And it was really important for me to realize that my role as caregiver was to help infuse some of the really important pieces of Lola's history into the conversation. Um, I watched some parents say like, what, you didn't read her file? But after six years of treatment, Lola's file was five binders wide and no BMT specialist would be expected to remember every line of it. So I really took advantage of being proactive and making sure that all of my doctors knew the nuances and the things that that had happened in the past that would have made treatment more challenging. And I think coming in armed with some of that history and delivering it in the most respectful way was really beneficial to Lola's long-term care. I think the other thing that's important to remember about a bone marrow transplant is it's not one size fits all. A lot of cancer treatment plans in the first diagnosis are, here's your plan, here's what everything's going to look like over the next two years. If nothing goes wrong, this is our plan. Whereas bone marrow transplant, it's this series of decisions that have to be made almost on a daily basis and asking lots of questions, but trusting your doctors is so crucial to maintaining sanity during an unprecedented event of uncertainty in the family. And it takes a while. I mean, BMT is a good year of your life. I and You have to be prepared for that. You're not in and out. It's a long haul. I think that that's interesting to say. And it's one of those things that it's hard to share with families that are new to the journey is just how long suffering you have to be to make it through and how challenging it actually is going to be for not only your child, but for every member of the family. Well, that helps me segue into my next question, Matt. I understand you have a great faith. Can you tell us about your faith and how that helped you get through this? You know, faith was such a cornerstone of our family prior to this. Um, We were in Tanzania serving as missionaries and We were always in so many situations that we couldn't control that faith became a real important cornerstone of maintaining sanity. I think the one thing that always gave me peace was knowing that God was powerful enough to bring complete healing if that was his desire. And I believe that single amount of truth gave me the ability to choose hope and joy instead of despair. And I think that allowed me to lead the family in a way that helped us maintain our faith and It's definitely a relationship where some days your faith is strong and some days you just need to be carried. But I know that leaning on that was the only thing that helped anything else make sense. And then getting to the point where you realize that God doesn't work like us. His thoughts are not like our thoughts. His ways are not like our ways. So just coming to grips with the fact that God's in control, he can fix anything. But if he doesn't, um, he still deserves to be worshiped. That is so powerful. It's almost like a surrender. Absolutely. Whenever you get into a situation where you can't control your outcome, you can either choose faith or despair. And I think that's what my message to many families entering that journey is, is keep the faith even when you don't get what you want, because the benefits to 
your long-term well-being will definitely be served well that way. Oh, Matt, this is really great stuff. What about creativity? Tell us about ways that you managed all this for so many years. That's such a, a unique question for all parties because I think everybody has to have some kind of outlet for their feelings. For me, because our life was such a train wreck as it unfolded, we grew a pretty large social media following. And one of the ways that helped me process all of the dark feelings within me is I, I would write it out and try my best to just help myself process the storm that we were in by trying to make sense of it through the written word and then sharing it with the people that were begging us for some way to help, even though there was really nothing they could do. At least writing out what was going on and the challenges that we were experiencing, it gave them a chance to at least pray for us more specifically. And I do believe there was real value in that. I'm going to elaborate on that for a second. So how did you deliver that messaging to your loved ones? I maintain most of my communication through Lola's Facebook page. Um, so we didn't do care pages like a lot of traditional families did. We had a web page that was for our family, and we just continued to update it as new things arose. Or if we were having a really bad day, I know it made me feel a lot better to put that out into social media and just watch people respond, even if it's a like or a, we're praying for you. That kind of affirmation to a family isolated into the hospital was really valuable to me. I agree. I think there's so many benefits to that social media outpouring of support. So Matt, we know that loved ones want to help. We got the people that, you know, like our Facebook, people are calling, they want to do something. What do you think about this? Help us out with how you processed the help that people wanted to give you. I believe that it is so hard for us to manage anything outside of the situation that's happening with our children. So a lot of people would say, like, just tell me what you need and, and we'll do it. But as cancer parents and even as a cancer patient, like she never knew what she wanted and we never knew what we wanted. So it was like, OK, thank you so much. Um, as we went through that journey, I started to realize just how much people were carrying me through gift cards or sending some money in a card. And at first I felt guilty, like I had some obligation to write a million thank you notes or to do this. And then I realized that these people don't know how to help. And the main function of money is to give people a choice on how they spend their time. So for me, when I started to receive monetary gifts or presents or any of those things, I just looked at it as a way where somebody would give me freedom to choose how I spent my time with my family and make investments that I wouldn't have been able to, to help us find a way to, to become a cohesive family again through this whole process. I love that. Anything else? I think that in the moment of cancer treatment and trying to make sense of everything, you're going to get a million people that have recommendations about what possibly could be going on or what treatments you should try. Or There's always this outpouring of friends and family that tell you about all these amazing holistic benefits. And I think that it's always valuable to listen to those and not to put too much stock in them because your doctors are ultimately in this fight with you and they have a vested interest in doing what's best for your child. So it's important to lean on them, to listen to friends and family. But there came a point where it was hurtful to hear a whole bunch of people saying, why don't you try acupuncture? Why don't you try CBD oil? Or why don't you try this? Because then it feels like as a caregiver, I wasn't trying something that I should where I had to learn quickly to just defer to the wisdom of the doctors that were put in my world and to just be really thankful for them as they helped me try to determine 
the best treatment path for my daughter. That's great. So Matt, we all hear about silver linings, especially right now in the crazy times that we're living in with this pandemic. I hear it all the time. What's a silver lining? What's a blessing from all of this? What do you have for us? I think that as parents, it is so rare that you get to spend a focused amount of time with any of your children for an extended period. And as I look back at the relationship that I have with Lola, because we were isolated together for the better part of six years of cancer treatment, I have such a beautiful, strong relationship with her. So I think that's one silver lining. Um, One of the things that I've talked with about families that have children who survive this ordeal is how they wish they could get that feeling of closeness, of spiritual closeness back. It seems like during the really challenging parts of your life, when God is the one that's carrying you, you don't realize it then. It's only after the fact that you realize that God protected your heart from so much. And there's times that I mourn not being able to maintain that same type of closeness with him that I had when I was living in a completely uncertain moment where my only choice was to rely on him. Oh, Matt, that's just so beautiful. And I think it's something for all of us to think about. So what else can we talk about here as far as your caregiving experience and your family's experience? I think one of the most important things about this journey is to realize right away that nothing will ever be the same. And that is not what a family who is in month one needs to hear. But I think as you go down that road, you start to cling to this idea of as soon as things go back to normal. And you think you'll go back to your old job and your old friends and your own way of looking at the world. But it's not true. This journey will change your whole family forever. And it's healthy to embrace that. And it's dangerous to continually try to put yourself back into the box of pre-cancer because you won't fit there anymore. The other thing that I think is really important to cover for any family that's listening is to embrace the idea of counseling and therapy for your entire family after this is done. There's not one family member that won't come out of this with a need to just put some of their feelings and their thoughts out into the air. Um, Counseling therapy is just a way that those toxic things that you had to live through don't get bottled up, but instead they have a safe place to be processed and to, to be able to speak your piece so that you can move on properly. Terrific. Okay, so let's hear about Lola today. I'm, I really want to know about this teenager. What's she like? Today, Lola's five years post-transplant. September of five years ago of 2015 was when we had our bone marrow transplant, so we just hit this amazing milestone. And today... I would say she feels like a normal child, right? Watching Lola turn into the woman that she is, is one of the greatest privileges of my life. And today she's a creative genius. Um, She's writing short stories that are incredible. She is taking care of younger kids and and showing a lot of love and diligence. And, And the other thing that gives me a lot of comfort is all of our kids that deal with this are going to have long term side effects. Mm hmm. Not all of them, maybe it's 80%, but everybody's going to have remnants of this journey that stay with them forever. After we first got out of treatment, I did mourn the idea of what she could have been had cancer never happened. And then I started to just look at her with this awe and amazement of who she is and what she's been through. And I think she never would be this incredible young woman that she is today had she not been through such a trial. And 
now when I look at her and I see who she came out of on the other side of this treatment, yes, there's so many things that are different than the five-year-old that I raised for the first five years, but who she is as this inspiring, young, beautiful, creative woman at 15 years old is a testament to how the Lord will restore us. And it won't be back to perfect, but it will be back to perfect for exactly who she's supposed to be. Wow. (laughs) You got me all choked up here, Matt. (laughs) That is just so beautiful. And what a lucky, lucky young lady to have the family she has. And I know you feel the same way having her as your daughter. Uh, Wow. (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing your, your heart and your faith and your love and your creativity. Thank you. Peggy, I just am, I'm so thankful to the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link for helping me get an opportunity to speak today. And I just want to encourage all of the people that might be listening to this that it all does work out okay. It just won't work out okay like how you think it will, mm-hmm. but you'll land in exactly where you're supposed to, and God will be there when you're finished. Oh, wow. Well, thank you, Matt. Thanks for sharing today, and uh, all the best to you and your family. Thank you so much, Peggy. This has been the Marrow Masters Podcast. Feel free to share this episode via text, email, or social media. To hear more, subscribe for free to Marrow Masters in your favorite podcast app. To learn more about the resources available to both patients and caregivers, check out the National Bone Marrow Transplant link at nbmtlink.org. That's nbmtlink.org, or just follow the link in our show notes.